Good morning. My name's Alka, and I'm going to be bringing the Bible reading for you. Um, can I add to the information about Mother's Day and um, the love and care, but especially talk to the young people who are here. Um, we try and love you as best as we can. We make so many mistakes, and I hope that you will forgive us for those things. None of you come with instruction booklets, and by the time we kind of figure out what we're doing, you've moved on. So um, I ask for your grace in forgiving us, um, and that we do love you very much. So that's on behalf of all, the mum, all your mums. Um, I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, 13, uh, verses 13 to 25. And I really identify with this passage as someone who has lived in different places and I suppose looking like I am and being who I am, I don't quite fit in anywhere. So this helps me to remind me that as a Christian, I'm not supposed to. Um, so I'm going to read... 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written... Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believed in God, who raised him from the dead, and glorified him so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply, from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the fields, flowers of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And I forgot to pray, so I'll pray now. Dear Lord God, I pray that James um, will be able to bring your message and that we will learn how to live as exiles here on earth and... Um, find our home in heaven. Amen. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Excellent. Happy Mother's Day. All that good stuff. Uh, we are continuing on our series here in 1 Peter that we started last week, looking at this idea of life as exile. It's one of the major themes that runs through the book. Uh, and relatedly, you know, you might be clever enough to put these pieces together, uh, but what do all these guys have in common? They've all been... Exile, right? At one point or another, okay? Einstein left Germany uh, before when the Nazis were coming to power. 
Dalai Lama sought uh, exile. Well, sorry, we didn't see. He was sent into exile uh, for political reasons. Anyone know this fun guy? I don't expect you to know just from the image, but I mean, what a fashion choice, right? I mean. <laughs> I hope everyone was doing it, right? Because if not, that, you know. That's Dante uh, of Dante's Inferno fame. That's Leon Trotsky. That's Napoleon Bonaparte. And this is Nelson Mandela. All of them spent time in exile for good or bad reasons, depending on all sorts of different things and how you might see their situation at the time. Focusing, though, just on uh, Nelson Mandela, though, uh, anyone know the island that he was sort of exiled slash imprisoned on? Robin Island, right? Uh, just off the coast of Cape Town. Now, he was there uh, in his, because of his opposition to the apartheid government in South Africa at the time. He spent 18 years uh, on the prison, exiled there, uh, and it was brutal in all sorts of different ways. He spoke passionately later on about just how difficult it was, it was for him to be in that place. But he also found it to be incredibly formative and important for the work that he ended up doing and for the way that apartheid uh, ultimately came to an end. Uh, he said these things at different points in time. He said, prison is itself a tremendous education in the need for patience and perseverance. It is, above all, a test of one's commitment. It was formative for him. How much did he really care about what he was fighting for? And he said that ultimately, prison, far from breaking our spirits, made us more determined to continue with this, ba with this battle until victory was won. He was living in exile, right, away from loved ones and family. If you've ever read his letters from prison, the way he tries to write to his children as a distant dad, it's heartbreaking stuff, but he never stopped seeing himself as a leader for what was happening just across the water there and continued to seek to both lead his people but even to negotiate and work with the apartheid government to try and change the situation that was there. He understood that he was in exile. He saw himself as one who was imprisoned, and yet at the same time, he had a hope for a different sort of future that he was working towards. And that's one of the big ideas that we see here in 1 Peter, this idea that you can be both in exile, where things are very difficult and you are away from home, and yet have a hope for what that home might be and what you're actually working towards. So let's remind ourselves a little bit about uh, this letter and where it's coming from. We've got Peter, okay, one of Jesus' closest apostles, who is writing from Rome. And he's writing to the towns here and the Christians in this region of the Roman Empire, which we saw sort of overlaps with modern-day Turkey. All right, so he's in Rome writing to what's modern-day Turkey. Back then, it was the regions of the towns there. We've seen that there's a bit of a structure uh, to this letter, uh, and right now we're looking at these early chapters where Peter is really working to establish the identity of God's people. Last week we saw a picture of where they stand. This week it's a little bit more about who they are. So the big take-home from last week was that believers in Jesus are chosen exiles that have an imperishable inheritance of salvation. And we tried to picture that by putting this image together where we see that believers are in God's mercy that they've been given new hearts, born into a new spirit, into a living hope through Jesus, and that they have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept for them in heaven until the fullness of their salvation that is to come. That's where Christians are with Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, this is where you stand before him. And what he's going to do now is really build on this picture that he's built up so far to help Christians think about not just where they stand with Jesus, but how they should see themselves and think about themselves. Right? So he says this, 
Therefore, with all that stuff that he's just talked about in mind, with minds that are, fully, that, are alert, that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed it is coming. Now this is a package that's again, sorry, a, a passage that's packed with lots of information. I'm going to try and work through it reasonably quickly so we've got time to reflect on it. It's going to take a little while, but that's okay. But it's shaped around these four sort of big ideas that I'm going to keep putting up in yellow. There are these imperatives, these exhortations that Peter really centers his instructions on. The first one here in this bit is set your hope. Okay, he wants them to set their hope. So with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope. That's the main idea that he's working with here. First up, he says, with minds that are alert, what this means is, uh, it's actually, uh, we, we don't translate this phrase directly because it, it's a... Uh, a word picture that we don't use very much. Uh, literally, it means gird up the loins of your mind. Okay? Don't know if you guys normally think about your mind and its loins, but that's, that's what they're working with there. It's kind of like the idea of roll up your sleeves. Okay? If you imagine your mind, like, roll up your sleeves. Be alert. Be ready. Okay? Get ready. That's the idea that he wants them to have in their mind there. And then he says, and fully sober, attentive and focused. So therefore, with minds that are ready and attentive... Set your hope. Okay, confidently look forward to. It's not a wish. It's not a fragile, airy thing. It's a confident looking towards the future that he wants them to have. So being ready, being focused, set your hope. Confidently look forward to the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. It very much fits with this picture that we looked at last week, which we saw he wants them to understand that this is where you stand now until the coming of Christ, when there's going to be a new creation, we're going to be face-to-face -face with Jesus, our situation where we stand with him is going to change, we're going to be much closer and more intimate. But until then, with minds that are ready, focused, set your hope on that which is to come. Look towards the future. That's what he wants them to be doing. They have a current circumstance and situation that they are in, but he's exhorting them, being ready, being focused, set your mind on what is to come. Confidently look forward to it. Then he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Again, lots of words framing up what the exhortation is, but the clear exhortation that he's giving here is be holy. And he qualifies it by saying, as obedient children. Previously, they were disobedient. We see in the New Testament elsewhere that when we talk about people who are disobedient, it's rebellious, it's being enemies towards God, they're outside of the family of God. But now as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. There was a time when you didn't know, you didn't understand, you didn't know God, you didn't understand who Jesus was, you didn't understand the full picture, but now you do and you're not meant to live like you used to. Peter's understanding here is that as they come to Jesus, as they now know him as their Lord and Savior, they're not going to live as they once did 
because now they have knowledge of what's true and real, and that's meant to lead to transformation. Specifically, don't conform to the evil desires that you had. You've been given a new spirit. With that new spirit comes a longing and a desire for the things of God, not those desires which you used to possess. But, so instead of that, just as he who called you is holy, just as God is holy, as obedient children, emulate your father. Obedient children want to be like their good dads. So just as God is holy, so you too be holy in all you do. Just as God is always holy, always righteous, always good, always set apart, always different from, you too, as obedient children, be holy like God is holy in everything that you do. It's a big picture, right? Like He he wants them to see themselves in a totally new light. They were in a a particular context. We think probably prisoners themselves or exiles themselves from the Roman Empire. They used to be in Rome. That's very possibly where they became Christians. But now they've been sent out to sort of the furthest part of the empire. They're in a tough spot. But he wants them to live in a way that might not be in accordance with how they're feeling in the moment, but rather in accordance with whose family they belong to, with God himself. Just as it's written, just as we've always known him to be, God is holy, and we are meant to emulate that. So the first little picture that he's got going here is that you used to be ignorant, you used to have evil desires, you used to be enemies of God, but now you're something new, you're something different. You have knowledge of God. Now you live as obedient children in holiness, just as God is holy. Okay, so first two exhortations that he's got going here, set your hope on that which is to come. And now be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. And then he draws a line sort of under that. So he wants you to keep this picture of of holiness and what you're meant to be. But then he goes on and starts a new thought that he's going to be related, but he's building on a new thought. He says, Since you call on a Father who judges each person's person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Okay, now technically speaking, it, 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 you know, it's an if idea, saying if you are this, but seeing as he's writing to Christians, that we sort of take it to be a given that that's what they are. And he says, since you call on a father who judges each person's, person's work impartially, live it out. Now, we'll come to the meaning of that in just a second. But the picture that, again, he's leaning into here is family language, right? Be holy as God is holy, as obedient children. Since you call on a father, that's basically what my dad looked like for most of my childhood. So I couldn't, not, I, he didn't always have the vest, but the mustache, the hair, it's, it's actually kind of freaky. I, anyway. So since you call on a father, right, who judges each person's work impartially, live this out. But remember, he's a father who judges. And that shapes the way that we're meant to think about him. We're meant to, when we think about him as a father, we think about one who is loving one who's the source of life for us, one who is good to us in all sorts of different ways, but also a father who judges. It's with this in mind that we're meant to live out our time as foreigners in reverent fear. He he wants the guys that he's writing to to understand that, yes, God is your father, and you should have that picture of him, loving, good, kind, wonderful, 
but also one who judges, who cares about how you live. And that's the meaning of this phrase here, live out your time. This is the idea of how you behave or conduct yourself. It's a father that loves you and is kind to you and is good to you, but also it's a father that cares about how you behave. Not just as a dad, but as one who judges, as one who will hold you to account for your actions. So live out your time as foreigners here. And this idea of foreigners is, again, this idea of, of, a, of an alien, of somebody who doesn't actually belong here in the place where you are. So the other time that Peter uses this language, we've seen it already, uh, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout these lands. This is a central idea of the book. He sees them as exiles, as foreigners, those who are, yes, far from Rome, but also living in this world away from their heavenly father and creator. But he wants them to still see themselves as exactly that, exiles, foreigners, living in reverent fear. Now, this can be a tough one for us, and so I think it's good that we can link this up, this idea of a father who judges. That means we live out, behave, conduct ourselves in a way where it matches up with this description of being in reverent fear. It's not the fear of a tyrant, Okay, and, and that's really important. That's why he's using, I think, this language of father and children and that sort of thing. All right, and, and these guys back at that time, they would have been really familiar with the idea of fearing their emperor. So Nero, in all likelihood, is the guy who's in charge. Uh, Nero's an interesting guy. Loved the arts and performance and all that sort of stuff, but certainly wasn't adverse to taking care of his enemies brutally uh, at times. But nonetheless, Roman citizens were meant to both fear and hold in awe their emperor. And so Peter here is leaning into that language of saying that you also need to, when you think about God, love him, see him as your father, but also as one who judges while you're exiles in this place. God cares about you. He's your dad. You're meant to live as obedient children and be holy. And so therefore you conduct yourselves in a manner that is in accordance with one who knows that they have a father in heaven who loves them, but also who judges them and cares about what they do. That's the picture he's working with here. Then he says, in accordance with this, for you know, all right, and he wants to talk about the value of how they've gotten to this place. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Okay. That word redeemed there, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's this idea of uh, to be free or to be set free by paying a ransom or to be liberated from an oppressive situation. You know, we, uh, the, the time that we really use this language these days right, is when you give a gift card over, you, you actually, you're redeeming that gift card. Somebody is holding in trust money and I redeem the value of that when I present my gift card, right? My son just got a bunch of them for his birthday. Now, you know, who knows, uh, Meyer and Rebel Sport and all these people are holding ransom the money that his friends have given to him until he comes along with the card to redeem it and set it free from those horrible corporations. I'm, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm, yeah. But that's the idea that it's working with here, okay? But it's not silver or gold that they've been set free with or redeemed by from this empty life that was given to them from their ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
that lamb imagery there, drawing on, on images from the Old Testament, where we see the sacrificial lamb who would be offered up as a sacrifice to remind the people of their sins. It had to be the, the, the firstborn of the flock. It had to be perfect. It couldn't have any blemishes. It's, it's a far more valuable thing that has actually bought their redemption. So he wants them to live out this life here as exiles in reverent fear because of the price that's been paid to set them free. So you can see what Peter's doing. He keeps on contrasting these different images to help them understand more clearly who they are now. He said to them, you're no longer ignorant people with evil desires and enemies of God. You now know God and you're meant to be walking in holiness as obedient children. You were oppressed and had this empty way of life with your ancestors. But you know what? It wasn't actually silver or gold that set you free from that. Rather, you now have freedom and live as foreigners in reverent fear before a God who judges, a Father who judges, because of the precious blood of Christ. So you can see, he's building up this whole picture of how he wants them to see themselves. He wants to see themselves as those who have been freed and yet living as exiles. He wants them to see themselves as no longer disobedient children, but as obedient children. He wants them to recognize that there's a new way that they're meant to conduct themselves in accordance with that identity of who they are in Christ, obedient kids, while understanding that all of this is happening in all these great things that they have been given. There's lots of ideas there. And again, we're going to look at this over the course of the book. It's important that we work through this stuff because the stuff that he's got to come is actually really challenging. He's going to say things in these later chapters to people who are still slaves or people in vulnerable situations, or people who are having to live under an unjust government. And he's going to encourage them and exhort them to live in a way that is completely counterintuitive to how the world would tell us we should respond in that situation. And the only way that that makes sense is if we actually get this stuff. He's going to call them to live in a way that is completely counterintuitive but it only makes sense if you don't see yourself in accordance with how the world perceives you, but rather that you perceive yourself in accordance with what Christ says is true. That's what he's trying to get into these guys' minds and hearts. So he goes on. He, Christ, was chosen before the creation of the world. Just like last week, he said to them that you were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Christ. He also says to them that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And remember, it's through him that you believe in God. Sorry, guys, we just had somebody's phone. I'm just going to make sure they're okay. Okay. All right, it's okay, guys. We're good. So it's through him that you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. I want to unpack this right now. We, we looked at some of this stuff last week. But, but again, he's trying to ground them and their hope in all these things that Jesus has actually done for them. And he goes on to say this. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, another big exhortation, 
Love one another deeply from the heart. So it's been to set your hope on the grace that's to come, be holy, live out, and now love one another. These are the big exhortations he's got going through this passage. And in this little section here, he gives them two reasons for why they are to love one another deeply. Reason number one is, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Now, what, what is this? What, is, where, what, what does it mean that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth? Well, in the course of the New Testament, again, won't unpack it totally here, but obeying the truth in a New Testament sense is having faith in Jesus. That's what it means. So now that you have purified yourselves by believing in Jesus, okay, you now have a sincere love for each other. All right, so don't, don't miss this. Now that you have purified yourselves by believing in Jesus, you have a sincere love for each other. When we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, we talk about the results of the Spirit at work in people. Right? Love is one of those things that flow forth from this. In the book of 1 John, we see again and again this exhortation that if you say that you love God but do not love your brother or sister, you're lying. Okay, you can't, you can't claim both of these things. If you love God, the work of transformation that's taken place in your heart, the new spirit that you've given, means that you love your brothers and sisters. Now, it might mean that you love them in the same way that you love your natural brothers and sisters, in the sense that they drive you absolutely insane and sometimes you want to smack them upside the back of the head, but somewhere deep down, you love them. And so seeing as that's true, he says... Love one another deeply. He's not saying to them, because all of the guys that are around you are absolutely great and wonderful and easy to get along with, love them. No, no. He's saying, love one another deeply because now that you've obeyed the truth, now that you've believed in Jesus, you do love them, so live in accordance with that. That's the first reason that he gives for why they should love one another deeply. And then the second reason comes in the next little bit where he says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. It's kind of funny because when you actually think about it, reason one, love them since that you've obeyed the truth and been purified and you do love them. right? So because you already love them, but by virtue of being purified, love them. And then he says, love them because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Again, the love that he's exhorting them to have for one another has nothing to do with them or who they are, but everything to do with the work that God has actually done in them. The love that you now have inside of you doesn't flow forth from something that's perishable, from something that changes, from something that moves, but rather from something that's imperishable. Now, we're going to unpack that a little bit more next week. It sort of flows, it's a hinge passage. It sort of flows into what we're going to be looking at next week. But that's the basic idea. All right, so like I said, I know there's a lot there. You're going to have a chance to talk about that in growth groups a little bit more. You know, grab the stuff that you might want to talk about. Uh, I encourage you guys to do that well. But let's, let's just spend a little bit of time here thinking about what it means for each of these exhortations to be lived out for us as believers 
today. First one, set your hope on the grace that is coming. So we saw it in the passage there. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. What this encapsulates, or the question that this puts to us is, is what are you confidently looking forward to? So in this new life that you have, the exhortation that's coming here is that what we're to confidently look forward to is the fullness of our salvation. A time when we receive the inheritance that's being kept in heaven for us, when we will be with Jesus, fully saved, the fullness of our salvation is ours, and now with him. Just slow down for a second here, okay? I wonder, how much time do you actually spend thinking about this? Like, when you think about the future, when you think about what you're working towards, right, if, if this is life, right, this little sliver here, and then this is eternity, right? When you think about the future, if this is life, how much time do you spend thinking about here? Versus... Here. What are we confidently looking forward to? Now, planning is great. Planning about, you know, also things that happen in this little slice of life, really important. Not trying to say, don't do this. But what I'm trying to say is, is that Peter's exhortation here to these guys was when you really look forward to the future, don't just think about what is to come but rather think about what is to come. And that changes our way of thinking about the world and everything in it, right? Because in this world, there's all sorts of challenges and difficulty. And if you're just looking at this little thing, right? And you're just looking on the small horizon, then we sort of lose sight of this much, much, much bigger hope that we have to come. And we can start to really, really easily put our hope in these much smaller things and think that that is going to be a thing that's going to make us happy or bring us contentment or something good in this world. If I can just get this job, if I confidently look forward to the time when I get this job, now my life is going to be better. My hope will be fulfilled. If I can just find these friends or make some relationships in this place, now my hope will be fulfilled. If this boy or girl would just return my affection for them, now my hope would be fulfilled. If my kids could just get their act together, then my life would be fulfilled. If we can just finish off the kitchen renovation, then my hopes would be fulfilled. But... but, And again, I'm not saying that any of those things are bad to plan for. I'm not trying to say any of those things are bad in themselves. Don't mishear me, please. But what I'm saying is is that we need to hold those things in perspective compared with the exhortation that Peter is giving us here to set your hope, to confidently look forward to the grace that is to come in the fullness of salvation that God has for us. Because I'm telling you, there are very, 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 very few promises about what is going to happen in this part of your life. 
There are all sorts of promises about the spiritual blessings that we have. There's all sorts of promises about what we, we have now that we don't have the fullness of yet. So there's all sorts of God's promises that apply to our life right now, but they've got nothing to do with your kitchen renovation. That, that could suck. And anyone who's done it, you're like, yes, yes, it does. Okay, and there's no promise that once it's done that it's going to be good. It's not going to break down again, that there's not going to be more problems. And so it's really important for us if we're going to, again, Peter's building up to something. He's got this whole middle section about talking to people who are in really, really difficult situations. If we're going to be set well for the hard things in life, then the starting point is don't be focused here. Set your hope, confidently look forward to the grace of the salvation that is still to come. That's the starting point. That's the framework. We went away to a conference this week, some of the staff members, and it was absolutely great because what we had the chance to do was pull back from our, our daily week-to-week ministry routine and look at the big picture of where we want our church to go and how things fit together and all this sort of stuff. And you suddenly realize, man, we get caught up in so many week-to-week, day-to-day, nitty-gritty things when actually if we kept this in mind, we'd make so many different decisions here that would actually mean that that future is going to look even better. And so, again, the funny thing is that if you want that that small part to look better, keep this stuff in perspective and you'll be much better equipped to plan for and do this stuff well. So point number one, set your grace, set your hope on the grace that is coming. Next one, okay, be holy. It said here, just as... God is holy, you too be holy. As obedient children, be holy. As you look towards the hope that is to come, you're meant to be set apart from those around you. You're meant to be different. That's what holiness means. Holiness means to be set apart for something. It it absolutely carries the idea of righteousness as well. But at its heart... First and foremost, the idea of holiness is that some things are for common use. Some things are for special use. Brothers and sisters, you have been set aside for special use by God. You all have things to do in this world. You've got responsibilities at work, school, family. Okay? All those are good things, but this is important. In all those spaces, in every space that you live... You've been set apart for God that's meant to govern how you live in those spaces. You've been set apart first and foremost for God. Your your primary way of thinking about how you should be is not just being a mother to your children, is not just being a great worker for your employer, is not just being a really good student. It's being a mother for God, being a father for God. It's being a worker for the Lord in all that you do. It's being one who rightly handles the word of truth and who studies the scripture as well as the things of this world that you study. You study well for the Lord. We, we have been set apart for God's service. Now, on a day-to-day level, that might look really similar to other people in your workspace and school and all that sort of stuff. 
Lots of people who don't believe in Jesus do great in school and career and all that sort of stuff, of course. The difference is who you're doing it for. I've been set apart to do this for God. With my hope firmly fixed on the great thing that is to come, I now live for him. I live set apart. I don't do things the same way that everybody else does. Because just as God is different and set apart and holy, so too I seek to be holy for God. I no longer conform myself to the evil desires that I once had. Rather, I see myself as set apart and pursuing God as an obedient child. It's all about how we see ourselves. So many things. We look the same in lots of ways, and yet at the same time, we should also seem distinct from and different from those around us in real ways because of who we're serving. Not just our small little hopes, but with our eyes firmly fixed on what is to come. Next up, living out life as foreigners. So again, our hope, confidently looking forward towards the heaven. We are being holy in how we live, but we also look forward towards our home and we live out, okay, sorry, the color wasn't meant to come from the back one there, that kind of messed up the visual image. We live out distinctly in a real way this life as foreigners who have a father who judges. That we're distinct from those around us, not just because of holy, not just because we've been set apart, but because we have this understanding about who God is. That I see myself not at home in this world. Again, it's all fitting together, right? My hopes, the reason that it's on the grace that is to come, it's because I understand that this is temporary. This is not my eternal home. This is not my place forever. This is a, pla- this is a way station. This is a place that I'm here for just a little while. This is a place that in the words of Song of Solomon and, and, and the, the Proverbs and wisdom literature and, and, and all that sort of stuff, it, it's, it's vapor. It's used language of Ecclesiastes. This is This is fleeting. Doesn't mean it's not good, it doesn't mean it's not a gift from God, it's got value, but it's fleeting. And so I live here as an exile, I live, I live here as one where this is my temporary home, being holy, distinct from the world around me, with my hope firmly set on that which is to come. And in that, we love one another. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. As we do all this stuff, we do it together. With each of us, with our eyes fixed on the hope that is to come, being holy, living distinct from the world around us, seeing our, our heavenly home as the place where we truly belong, we love each other. And let me just tie a bow on this now. The loving each other part of this works so much better when you understand those first three exhortations and how it fits together. 
Because this thing, we all know this, love according to the scriptures is sacrificial. That's the consistent picture of love that we have. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his brother. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The picture of love that we have is the cross. We're meant to love one another in sacrifice. But here's the thing. It's really hard to sacrifice, to give up the things of this world if this is what your hope is in. If your hope is consistently living in this little sliver and what you want now, here, man, it gets really hard to keep sacrificing stuff here over and over and over again because you're not getting what you want, right? Because the hope, the things that you're confidently looking forward to, it's all right here. Houses, jobs, security, stability, it's all right here. But you start looking and making this your focus, the grace of the salvation that's to come, that, that that's my true home, that's where I really live, then sacrifices in this place start to take on its proper perspective. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it hurts. But it is but a light and momentary affliction, to use Paul's words, compared to the life of eternity to come. Now, I'm going to get fired up here a second, so just brace yourselves, okay? We live in a middle-class rut that will destroy our souls if we don't lift our eyes from this space here and look at eternity to come. I'm not yelling at you because I'm mad. I'm yelling because I want more for you. For me, for me, for us, for our kids. If we settle for the ideal Karina, Carindale, you know, Morningside, perfect life with the awesome Queenslander, with the beautifully crafted, you know, front door and everything just says happy home, and we make that our hope, that's what we're confidently looking forward to, we are trading so much. Now, good news, you're still going to heaven. <laughs> if you believe in Jesus, that's yours, okay? If you're believing in Jesus, that's a gift that's given to you, okay? Don't confuse these things. I'm not saying if you've got a nice house that you're going to hell. But what I'm saying is, is that all these things that, that are right here in front of us, they, they can block our vision. Because if I'm living in here, if I don't deliberately keep looking and seeing that that's where my hope is, man, it gets so hard to sacrifice and to love and to do all things that we need to do. And it gets really hard to make all the sacrifices that we need to do to invite others to come here and enjoy eternity with us, right? It gets real hard to, to keep going out there, inviting other people to come to church and enjoy it and invite us because of all the ways they might look at us and all that sort of thing because it's affecting here. But there are other people whose lives are at stake with eternity to come. And again, I'm not saying this, guys, because I'm mad at you. I'm not saying this because... I want to make you feel bad. I'm saying it because we need this sort of challenge because all the stuff that's right in front of us, it seems so big at the time. But that's why Peter is trying to set this up for everyone. Know where you stand with Jesus. Understand who you are in him. Know what your hope is truly in. Because the days here are hard and difficult and there's much sacrifice and suffering to endure. But we can do it if our eyes are firmly fixed on Jesus. Let's pray together. (sighs) 
Father God, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us. Thank you for where we stand in his mercy and the living hope that we have. And thank you for who we are, your children. Thank you that we, we can live in reverent fear, knowing that you're our dad, knowing that you care about how we live, but knowing the grace that's been given to us in Christ Jesus. Knowing that we've been chosen before the foundation of the world to be your people. What a privilege, what a joy these things are. And, and Lord, please help us to, to keep seeing ourselves through that lens. To not see ourselves just in accordance with the jobs and careers and houses and, and families that we have, but to see ourselves as so much more. To see this world through a different lens. In order that we might sacrifice and suffer well, but Lord, also so we might be your faithful servants here in this kingdom and see many more people come to know and love you because we want to please you and live for you in all that we do. Set apart. Exiles looking toward our heavenly home. And we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.